Welcome to the audio podcast for Saturday Night Life. SNL is a ministry of Northwood Church, and our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church or SNL, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us for Saturday Night Life at 7 p.m. on Saturday evenings. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for this evening. Amen. Amen. There we go. There we go. Okay. Welcome to Saturday Night Life. My name is Angel, and I will be your host tonight. SNL is a ministry of Northridge Church. You're all welcome here to experience everything that Northridge has to offer. After tonight, we meet Sunday mornings and even Sunday afternoons. If you speak Spanish, which I don't, if you have kids, ask someone about the different free programs and activities we offer during the week. It's amazing. Northridge and SNL are proud to be par- proud to partner with Hope for Freedom Society. Woo! We are big fans of ministry and count ourselves fortunate to work alongside them this way. Amen to that. Celebrate recovery is a place to experience. Right? <laughs> Celebrate recovery is a place to experience freedom <laughs> from life's hurt, habits, and hangups. We have a group that meets Friday nights just down the road at Highway Church, and there is literally CR groups all around the world. If you know that you're going to be moving out of town and want to know more about how to connect with CR, where you're living, just let us know. We like to celebrate recovery here at Sunday, Saturday Night Life. If you're comfortable sharing where you're at in your recovery, take a moment to stand and share your milestone. Yeah, buddy. Hey, Jacob, finesse. Amen. Right on. Johnny. That's my roommate. I love him a lot. Okay. Kevin. Yeah, my man. All right. Okay. Okay. Don't read this. Okay, yeah, okay. can't read that part. <laughs> Take his Bible, take the Bible with you wherever you go. Your version is a you know, version of the Bible app on your phone. It also has Bible studies and the ability to highlight and share what you're reading. Check it out the next time you have access to your phone. Sideways, happy face. If you don't have access to hard copy of a Bible, we have one just for you. Just connect with the leader following the service team and make sure that you get one. All our SNL services are streamed live on Facebook. Facebook, what's going on? I have people watching me on Facebook because I'm, I'm calling out. DJ, uh, everybody else, I can't remember because I'm on a spot, but (laughs) everybody in Kelowna has watched me. I love you guys. Thank you. Uh, It's uh, uh, 76 days clean for Angel. All right. Amen. Okay. All of our SNL services are streamed live. I just read that part. Don't read this out loud. Can't do that either. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay, hi to people. Okay, I just did that. Okay, during the week, you can watch this on replay, YouTube, or check it out, po- our podcast version on Spotify. If you are watching online right now, stay connected by liking, following, subscribing, or whatever 
dark writing, so that you never miss a service. We serve coffee because we want to, encourage you to linger and hang out, so make sure you refill your cup and enjoy a good conversation. I always do. Take some time to check out the free clothing available as you unite. It has been brought to you especially for you, so don't be shy to take as much as you want. Once again, we're glad you're here. If you got your Bible, you can open it to the book of Matthew and get ready to learn a little bit more about Jesus because he is the reason we're here. Amen. Awesome. Don't leave. And so even though, even though he's the reason we're here, tonight we are blessed. Uh, Angel's going to tell this story. And this is something, if, if you have been a part of our Sunday morning services, this summer we've been uh, having either a person or a couple each week, and what I've done with them is I've interviewed them, but I've asked Angel to tell his story. He's got, like uh, I told him, 10, 15 minutes, and we'll turn a fan on you too so you don't die. Who's going to give up their fan? Thanks, Allison. All right, so, um, and, and I want to say something else about this. Uh, we, yeah, I could say we. We believe that the enemy wants to isolate you. He wants to, he wants to pull you to a spot where you, you think you're the only one that's going through what you're going through. And the reason we share stories is to declare that you're in the same boat as a lot of other people. And, and there's vic there are victories happening all around you. And we want to celebrate that. Uh, the only thing that's common that you'll see in common with all the, all the stories are quite different. You're going to see that Jesus is the hero of every one of these stories. That's the key. All right? So we're so thankful for your bravery, and we're excited. Let me pray for you. All right? Father, we, we thank you for the work you're doing in Angel. And not just the work that we can see, but Lord, we know that you are scraping away and, and doing a work. You're tilling the soil of his heart, and you're, you're doing a work in him. And so, Father, we are anxious to receive the word that you speak through him and share for us about what you're doing in his life. We pray blessings on him in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Amen. Amen. All right, all right, all right. Okay, one more time. Amen? Amen. All right, okay. So this is kind of a sad story, but it really got a happy ending. So my name is Angel. My real name is Daniel Marquis. Um, me and my little brother, DJ David Jonathan Marquis, shout out, we're two products of rape, um, which means that we are both up beside a dumpster when we were born in the middle of December in Quebec City, and for some reason we were left there. Don't know why. But from that point on, we were adopted by a white alcoholic, pretty much drug-addicted family, and treated not the greatest. Um, we were called wagon, burned, TB-creeping Indians by my parents, and we were slapped, and my, my little brother was beat on for sucking his thumb bouncing his head on the pillow, peeing the bed, like children do. I guess he wasn't allowed to be a child. And I was sick of it. So when I was seven years old, and he was six, because our parents had screwed the window shut in our bedroom so we could open it, and my mom, my first cell was my door because she put locks on the outside of her door so we couldn't get out. One time it was for three days, and I had to learn how to urinate in an ice cream pail. Um, I was tired again watching my little brother, me getting treated good, when my little brother's getting treated like dirt for sucking his thumb and just being a child. So being the old, big older brother, I boosted him out the window and lowered down, and then we ran away to the only place I knew how to get to, and that was my school, West Bank Elementary. And when we got there, I didn't know what to do, so I took a stick off a tree, 
And I remember that the gym door was kind of shaky, so I went and I rattled and I squat and I popped the gym door open. And instead of running for the canteen or the money and stuff was like that, we're children. We didn't know what money was, so we ran to the ball pit. We made a horrible mess of the gym, horrible mess. And there's just stuff everywhere, bouncing balls everywhere. And then, and at night, we had nowhere to sleep, so where they stacked all the chairs, I crawled under there and I put my jacket out. And I told my little brother to lay down on my jacket and with his head in between my legs. I started cross-legged, and I stroked his hair while he fell asleep. <clears throat> in the morning when we woke up, my little brother told me that he was hungry. And I didn't have the money to buy food, and I didn't have anything to do. So the only, only thing I knew is that I had to feed my little brother. That's the right thing. You have to take care of your little brother. That's what I know. And we didn't know have a mommy or dad. We didn't have, uh, he had me. That's it. So we went down to the overweighties. I told him to wait, talked to the manager or whatever he did. And I went and I got a kid's favorite breakfast, a bunch of candy. I started stuffing candy in my pockets, Skittles and Jujubes and whatever I can get. And I walked away. And when I was walking out of the store, I told Didi, come on, mom's upstairs waiting for us because there's like a guy. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't want to go up there. You know, I was like, come on. So anyways, we got outside. And we went to the bowling alley, and it was next door. And we went to the little meeting room and asked him if he was still hungry. David, are you still hungry? Yes, Danny, a little. We should just go home, he said. Just get a spanking, and then mom will give us some puffed wheat to eat. That's what we lived on. So I said, no, no, here we go. And I started pulling out the candy to my little brother. And the look that he gave me, the look that my little brother gave me, that's one theft that I'll never, ever regret. Because he knew that his brother had his back. He knew that his brother had his back. Anyway, skipping forward. I only have 15 minutes, so I have to make this kind of quick. So, move up to when I was 12 years old. I was running away. I was stealing and stuff like that. So, the police were kind of getting tired of me. So, they locked me up and they put me in jail. Like, it was a big thing. It was a bad thing. At first, I was scared. But then when I got to the juvenile center, they opened me, open, open arms, they gave me new clothes, a place to sleep, three meals a day, and I was surrounded with a bunch of younger kids that wanted to just have fun and break the law. And you know what I mean? It was like it wasn't it wasn't a, a punishment. It was more like a present. It was like I wasn't being yelled at. I wasn't being called a wagon burning Indian, no good piece of garbage. I wasn't getting told that they wanted to help me. So jail became my home for a long time. From 12-year-old to 19 years old, from 20 years old to 30 years old to 30 to 38 years old, and I got put in a coma for three months. That didn't give me the hint. I woke up, and I was supposed to be brain damaged, and the doctors were so surprised I was being able to tell my own name still. I didn't get it then that God was trying to wake me up and give me a saying, listen, I love you, and I want you to do good. I still wasn't hearing him. I had that volume turned right down. Then when I was 39 years old, I ended up getting shot through the collarbone. It should have killed me with a 9mm, and somehow, by the grace of God, the bullet went in, went off something that the doctors can't understand, and it went out my shoulder a different way. And that woke me up. On May 12th, I was in Oliver Correctional Center. I was just tired. I was tired of trying to be something I wasn't. I was trying to, I was so tired of putting on the gangster face, the the, the, like, I have to be hard, and I post up the drug dealing, the chasing, the, oh, the garbage. I was so sick of the garbage, and I wanted something different. I was, I was being weighed down by all the guilt, pain, shame, all of it, and I just said, open. I freaked out, and I 
remember throwing my Bible against the door. And when it bounced back, it said a word that I'll never forget. It opened up in anyways, and it said, I was like, my Bible, I picked it up, and I was just tired, and I said, you know what, Lord? If you're there, if you can hear me, please just take all my pain. Just, just take it. I can't carry it anymore. Take all the guilt, the shame, everything. And I wasn't expecting the clouds open and blah, nothing like that. No. But instantly I just felt a peace. A peace. A peace, a peace, a peace. And it was just calm. And it felt like the weight that I'd been carrying so long, it was hurting my back, I could finally stand up straight. And I was able to shake it off. So my lawyer's assistant, I called her, and I said, I want to go to treatment. I'm done with this stuff. I really want to go to recovery. My lawyer, Melissa Lowe, hi, she was going to send me somewhere place, and her legal assistant, Roisin, I said, I want a Christian-based place. I want to go somewhere where God's involved. I really, really want to know God. I really want to know Jesus. And so she found hope for freedom. And yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. And hallelujah to that. And hope for freedom. Amen, amen, amen. It has saved my life. You have no idea how much it has saved this misguided angel's life. So she was busy all day. She would go out of her way and make a three-way call to hope for freedom so I could do a check-in for a whole week. They wanted to make sure I was serious. Out of her way. She would stop doing what she was doing, make a three-way call, got it lined up, and she is the reason that I found hope for freedom. And hope for freedom has saved my life. So I was all excited about that. And I came to Northridge Church. And I was nervous. And I ended up sitting beside Pastor Dave's wife. And I, I, was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going bad. But all I accepted was love. I accepted love from Carol Lee, from Carol, from David. They just, the whole church just accepted me. And it has been a blessing. So thank you so much, all of you, for taking my hand and walking with this angel and helping me turn my scars into stars. Thanks. That was awesome. Thanks, brother. Okay, I'd heard a bit of your story, and I knew it was going to be interesting. I had no idea how well you would do. Angel, your train of thought was, like, amazing. You got all your points across. You, you blessed us. That was really, really good, man. Thank you. Um, I, I kind of feel compelled. I know it wasn't me that was the dork foster parents, but on behalf of people who look like me, I'm sorry you had to go through that. That's pretty brutal. I'm sorry, man. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Sheesh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know what, what? What's your lawyer's name again? Melissa Lowe, if you are, I think the plan was that you're going to be watching. Uh, you're, and Roisin, okay, yeah, you guys are special people. I heard that part of the story, too, that uh, you guys have really gone above and beyond, so thank you. Thank you very much. All right. That's awesome. Okay, well, today we are going to carry on, um, and, and I should call out, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I got my fully dad shoes. These are literally my dad's shoes. Uh, today I didn't plan ahead very well, and I was cutting the grass, and so all I had were these really goofy boots, and I didn't think it would kind of go with the vibe, but I, I felt like my dad's sandals would go with the vibe, and uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's who I am today. Um, but we are going to be going from chapter 21 of the book of Matthew, and I found that I've, I've preached or taught through this section of scripture. I think this is the third time in the span of like four months, 
where I feel like we just wrapped this up um, when we were teaching through all of the Gospels, and then we taught through this when we were preparing for Easter, and here we are again. So this is a, a section of Scripture that's really familiar to me, and uh, I think there's a message in here that is for us and that I'm excited about. Um, the version you're going to see on the screen here is the ESV, English Standard Version, uh, but if you've got different versions, read along and enjoy so this is called, traditionally called the triumphal entry, and you'll hear this story, this, this message, quite regularly the week before Easter, okay? And this is the story, Jesus has been out, uh, remember the whole story starts with his birth, and then fast forward to his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness, and then he starts just doing his thing, he collects his disciples, He's, he's got his 12 guys, and I like to make the comment that they go on this three-year camping trip together. And Jesus is leading these 12 guys all through this, this region, preaching in different places, healing people, doing the miraculous, and, and he's growing in fame too. Remember at the very beginning of his ministry, he's like, don't tell anybody that I healed you. It's not time yet for me to be famous, is basically what he's saying. It's not time for people to start coming around just yet. But eventually people disobeyed and they, they told everybody what was happening. Well, and wouldn't you too? If you're healed of blindness or you weren't able to walk and now you can, you had leprosy and you've been cleansed from the leprosy, you'd probably tell people too. And so the crowds were growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And here's the first thing I want you to know before we get into the scripture is Jesus isn't just going to another town. He is walking into what we often call or refer to as the holy city. He's going into Jerusalem. But he's going to Jerusalem with a purpose. He is going there knowing that he is going to die in Jerusalem. He's going to give his life in Jerusalem. So the first thing I want to make really clear is that Jesus was never a victim. Jesus was never captured. He was arrested, but it wasn't like he was, oh no, this is shocking me. Jesus, from the get-go, was giving himself, knowing what he was walking into, he was giving himself as a sacrifice for us. So that's the first thing I want to kind of set the context with before we go into the scripture. Let's do that now. So verse 1 of chapter 21 goes like this. Now when they drew near to, to Jerusalem... And came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, which they probably would when they start untying, it's like going to somebody's motorcycle and just kind of like fiddling with it. Hey, okay, I'm just going to take this. If anybody says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Let's pause there, Josiah. There's a couple of things I think I want to point out here. Um, the first is this idea that Jesus, he, he's just coming into the city for the first time. He didn't go out pre-scout this. He didn't call Uber donkey or whatever. Like, he, he didn't pre-arrange this. He just prophesied that this is going to be where you're going to find a donkey and the colt. And for those of you who are like me, 
and thought that, that a colt was, and I think the colt is a baby donkey. I think there's different varieties of, of what they're, baby donkey or baby horse. Um, but it's never been ridden on. And that's key. Because what you'll find throughout the Bible leading up to this are what we call messianic prophecies. And what that is, is for hundreds, if not thousands of years, you have people who prophesy that a Messiah will come. And Messiah just means the one who saves. So for hundreds of years, these people, God has spoken through people to tell other people that somebody is going to come to save you. And you know what? We, we sometimes will talk badly about the Jewish people at this time, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. But they were anxiously awaiting this Messiah. They were waiting for the one who would come to save. And, and probably, this is kind of me inserting my, my judgment on the, on the kind of the idea here. They were probably waiting for somebody of great power and stature. I like to, uh, to kind of imagine a guy riding in on his white horse with massive sword, and he was going to come and vanquish all of Israel's enemies and lead them to prosperity and awesomeness. And yet, what we know to be true is that the Messiah came to us. I'm struggling with words today. The Messiah came to us as a baby to a lowly family in a mean-nothing town. He came humbly, and then he grew to be the man he is today. But these messianic prophecies, this is the point, all of these prophecies were foretold about Jesus. Now, this is one here where he probably could have manipulated the situation to carry out the prophecy. But we see messianic prophecies fulfilled regularly in his life, and some of them are where he was born. He couldn't really control that who he was born to, he, it's a little late. Once you're born, you can't really control who your mom is. These are things that were out of his control, but just kept coming true and coming true and coming true. And even down to this last detail, that there was a prophecy saying that he would, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on, excuse me, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is just another one of those messianic prophecies being fulfilled. All right, let me carry on. Uh, verse 6 goes like this. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most Now, this, listen to this. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Here's the next thing I want you to pay attention to. These people who had been following him around, watching him, listening to his teaching, were now revering him as king. He was their king. They saw him for who he was. Now, if you would have taken a poll or a survey, just looked around at the demographic, this probably wasn't a group of royal people. This probably wasn't a group of well, wealthy or well-to-do people. This probably wasn't a group of the religious elite. 
this wasn't the pastors and the, the, the long-time Christians who were praising Jesus. This was, these were the sinners whose, Jesus, whose house Jesus went to, and he, he ate with them, and he, he taught them, and he spent time with them. It was those people who were gathered around and, and sacrificing their cloaks and, and laying down palm front, fronts and calling him king. That was their response. But there's more. Let's read on a little bit farther. Verse 12, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now let's pause there. And this is... A scene, um, sometimes if you watch some movie where Jesus is portrayed, you see Jesus like flipping tables and he's, you see him mad. And this is one of those times where he is genuinely ticked off. And, and something hit me hard, I think it was at Easter time this year, that I, I think I, I know the heart of why Jesus was so upset. Yes, it was probably out of order to be selling things in the temple. The temple wasn't set up for that. Actually, many of you were with us when we were teaching through the book of Exodus. And the temple is just the concrete variety of the tabernacle. Remember we talked about how the tabernacle was all laid out, and in the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, where God's presence rested. This is a very, very special place. And the way the tabernacle was set up is only the priest was really meant to be in the tabernacle. And he couldn't even really go into the Holy of Holies. It was too holy for him. This was a very, very special place. And yet people were treating it like a dollar store. And so there's a, a lack of reverence. That's one part of it. But I think there's something else. Is these people who were changing money and, and selling animals to be sacrificed... They had jacked the price because they know if you came to the temple to sacrifice a pigeon and you didn't yet have a pigeon, you'd be pretty desperate. And so they would jack the price. And what you need to understand is at this time, this is before Jesus had died and paid the price for us, before he became the ultimate sacrifice. So the way that you had your sins cleansed was to sacrifice an animal. Blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. And I hope I'm not getting really confusing in here. But the point is, is that if you wanted your sins to be given, forgiven, if you wanted to be right with God, you needed to go through this sacrificial process. And these people not only were making a profit off this system, but the price was so high that there were people who were too poor to have their sins forgiven. Think about that for a second is that they were men that were putting a price tag on salvation, on being forgiven. Well, as you can imagine, Jesus was having none of that. And he tore down the barrier that was between people who couldn't afford to get their sacrifices done and, and, and the temple. He flushed them out. He asserted his authority as God to get them out of that temple. 
And I think this is an important thing because there are sometimes, unfortunately, I, I, I grew up in an era, so I'm, I'm 51. And I grew up at a time where you didn't wear a hat to church. Sorry, James, I'm not picking on you. <laughs> but you, you didn't wear a hat. And I remember Bev Miller, I think I did wear a hat one time. And Mrs. Miller, I would never call her Bev, by the way, back then. She gave me heck for having a hat on. And, and it's not that she was a, she's a wonderful woman. Um, but she was kind of policing the reverence of our church. We, we, people, Christians were supposed to perform, like, kind of live a certain way. You're supposed to dress a certain way. I, there's no way somebody would have preached in shorts when, when I was growing up. I can't even imagine it. And now everybody's looking at my legs, and I'm self-conscious because I've got, like, veins that stick out here. But anyways, um, that's not the point. I'm trying to see, Angel, I need your train of thought right now. Um, uh, the, the, the point is this. Oh, there are times that we kind of set up extra rules and barriers that were never meant to be there. God is the God of the prodigal son who when his son returns, he runs to him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He takes his own coat off and gives it to his son. He takes his ring off and declares, this is my son. That's our God. Our God is not looking to make sure you can afford to get to heaven. He's not checking your credit scores to make sure that you're okay to get into heaven. He wants everybody and he goes to get you. So I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus lost his mind. He didn't lose his mind, but how, why he got so angry. And he would not stand for what was happening in the temple. Let's move along a little bit. So before we go on, sorry, go back a little bit, just so we don't tip it off. So remember for a second, you've got this group of people that has seen Jesus do the miraculous. These people who, who have felt the love of Jesus. And they are worshiping Jesus. That is their response. And now we're about to read about the people who were the pastors and the priests. They were the religious leaders of the city. And we're going to see their response. It goes like this. Verse 15, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David! They were indignant. They were furious. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Uh, do I have anything more, Josiah? I hope I do. I don't. Okay. If you read on, I should have left a little bit more on there. Jesus left and, and, and lodged in Bethany. But the religious elite, they also left. And you know what they did? They planned Jesus' death. They started to create a plan to have Jesus executed, crucified on a cross. So you've got two responses. You've got one group of people who would be broadly considered the, the dirty people, the sinners, the broken people. And they saw Jesus for who he was, and they worshipped him as king. And then, I'm going to invite the worship team up actually right now. And then you've got the religious leaders who also saw Jesus. They were falling around. They watched him do the miraculous. They listened to his teaching. But instead of worshiping him, they planned to have him executed. Two very different responses to Jesus. We're going to sing a song. 
And I'm going to leave you with a little nugget, something to think about. You want a hand, man? You good? Um, yep. Get out of here. <laughs> and I, why did I ask? Um, I, I want to leave you with this thought. Because um, God is God. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So the question is, what will, who are we? Are we the people who are appreciative of everything that Jesus has done for us? We worship him as king. Or are we the people who look at this Jesus and like, ah, oh, I don't know. I just, I just, he's, he's a nuisance. He's, he's in the way. I just want to live my life and wait for the real Messiah to come. I don't know. What will your response be to Jesus? That's a question I want to leave, leave you with. Well, not leave you because I want to talk after we uh, sing this next song together. In the meanwhile, let's stand and let's sing together. Have a quick seat. And I didn't realize how perfect that last song would be um, for this. Really, surrendering is the, is the key. When we look at the two different responses, you've got the people here that, that thought very highly of themselves. They're full of pride. They saw, they were following the law well. They were the goody-goodies, the do-writers. They were, they were righteous. And that filled them with pride. They, they knew they were doing well. And for them, it's, it's hard to surrender. It's hard to give up that pride. When you feel good about yourself, you don't want to not feel good about yourself. And then there was the people who were broken. And they knew their crap. They knew their problems, their depravities. And they were so full of thankfulness for a God that still loved them. And so surrendering to that God is easier from the place of humility. It's hard when you think you've got it all together. When you think you're fine, you don't need God, you'll do it yourself. And we all know how that goes, right? Um, if you want to surrender this evening, I want to present you with that opportunity. And many of you have been here several weeks and you know the deal. In fact, some of you could probably come up and talk us through this. But the way we do it is this. We broke it down to A, B, C. We try and keep it really simple because I'm not that bright. So A is admit. If you're ready to admit that you are this broken person who needs a God who saves, if you're ready to admit your sinfulness, that you're not perfect, that's the first step. Then B, if you believe that this Jesus really is the Messiah, the one who came to save, the one who came to die so that I wouldn't have to die for my sins. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin is death. That's what we deserve. Because of our sinfulness, we deserve death. Not just if we kill somebody, we deserve death. It goes beyond this whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Any sin that we commit, the payment and what we deserve is death. And that's the price we have to pay if it weren't for a Savior, a person who died for us. And that's the B part of this. If we believe that Jesus really is the Messiah, the one who came to save me, the one who came to save you, if you believe that, you're two-thirds of the way there. i got to be careful what I do with my fingers here. The third one is to commit your life to following Jesus. It's, it's great to say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God. 
You know what? The devil knows that Jesus is God. That doesn't make him right with God. The third thing is that committing your life to following him. Instead of being full of pride and following our own ways and doing things on our own, we are committing to him as the king of our life. And if you're ready to commit to Jesus as the king of your life, and if you're ready to see where he's going to take you, and what that new life looks like, that's what this invitation is all about. So we ask that you bow your heads, close your eyes, just to make this a private moment between you and God. And I'm going to ask the question, if you're ready to admit that you are a sinner, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah who died for our sins and saved us, and if you're ready to commit your ways to following him, I would invite you to put your hand up right now where you're sitting. Awesome, thanks. You guys are awesome. Beautiful. You can put your hands down. Okay, what the Word says is that today, when you make that decision, you are a new creation. You do not need to wonder, like, if, if this is an application on the desk of God and He'll get to eventually, and then when He gets to it, He'll decide whether or not you're worthy of being saved. The truth is, is that none of us are worthy of being saved. It's only because of Jesus that we are worthy. He makes us worthy. And so you have been not just applied for, you have been accepted as a child of God, and you are a new creation walking out of this room today. And I want to just continue to pray for you. Father, we celebrate with you and the angels. Your word tells us that uh, there's a party in heaven right now because of lives that were walking towards death and separation from you that have now been stolen from the enemy and, and brought into the kingdom, that they are children of God, and that one day they will reign and rule with you in heaven, that, uh, that they will be with you, they'll get to see you, and we will get to worship you as king over all. So I thank you this evening for the decisions made. We pray blessings on these people. We pray that you would be with them tonight, give them a, a sweet sleep, a dreamless sleep. Or if they're dreams, that you'd be in them and you'd be the main character and, and comfort, comfort them and, and um, yeah, just be with them. Father, we thank you for this evening. And as we go, we pray there be a blessing, that we would leave differently than the way we came. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a couple things we talked about, in the, or Angel talked about in the announcements. Um, have another coffee. Uh, grab some clothes from the room there. Uh, if you need a Bible, we've got Bibles. Uh, if you want prayer, um, find something to pray with. And otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow morning.
Thank you for joining us for Saturday Night Life. If you want to learn more about this ministry, or if you want to talk to somebody about what you heard on this podcast, please email us at snl at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed. Thank you.